0: gift to you. You can keep it, read it, love it, share it, the whole deal. So get a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 14. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is, congratulations to some of us who are maybe ready for a little bit of a break, but this is a kind of break in Romans. We've been in Romans now for about seven months, and so we're going to take a little break for two months, and we'll come back in January and start up Romans chapter 8, but we wrap up Romans 7 today, wrapping up seven months of Romans, wow, and, uh, and here's what I want to do. Last week and this week, we said this, that these could possibly be the two most relatable passages in the entire Bible, right? Right? That if we were to sit back, we were to just read them for face value, and you already heard some read earlier, right? If we were to sit back, just read them for face value, immediately, I believe, our hearts and our minds engage with the text because we're like, listen, this is my life, right? Like, we read this, and it almost requires no commentary, no sermon, because we read it and say, yeah, that's my experience, we said last week that Paul, throughout the entire book of Romans, is constantly just kind of propping up doctrine, theology, these deep truths about God, but really these two weeks are just him almost laying bare his soul, laying bare really what's going on in his life. So what I found really important is that when you try and get context, right, when you try and get the depth of what someone's trying to communicate, it really helps to know who that person is, right? Right? Like It helps to know who that person is, what his story is, for us to truly get when, when somebody's is communicated to us by that person. man, What's that person's story? It will give greater influence to what you hear. For example, yesterday we had the Redemption Men's event. Okay? Uh, our buddy Caleb Green had never driven in the snow before. Okay? This is an important detail because Caleb took a corner going 30 and slid his car right off into a ditch. Okay? Now, if you didn't know that he had never driven in snow before, and he had two-wheel drive, which is already a bad idea, right? If you didn't know this, you would just think, idiot, right? <laughs> just kidding. Love you. But since we know that, we could say, you know what, just inexperience, we understand, you didn't, have any- you didn't know that you can't go 30 into a corner where the sign says 15 in snow in a two-wheel drive vehicle, right? You didn't know that. So there's some slack, there's some grace, there's context. So what I decided to do for us today is I went ahead and interviewed Paul for us, Okay? took me a little while to get in touch, but I interviewed Paul, okay? I asked him one question. I said, Paul, tell me your story. And he said this, I used to persecute you guys, like for real. I killed many of our kingdom family. Yet I was not destroyed. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus himself saved me. No, I'm serious. I was on my way to persecute some more of his people, and he himself invaded earth, transcended the physical, and appeared to me as a bright light shone all around, proclaiming, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In a moment, he blinded me physically, but spiritually opened my eyes wider than I could have ever achieved on my own. Now I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. My motives? I am fully his. I told the elders in Ephesus what I tell you now that I consider my life worth nothing to me that only that I may finish the race completing the task that God has given me the task of testifying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Education. I've studied with some of the most brilliant Christian minds for over 10 years not to mention all the years studying the Old Testament practically memorizing every intricacy of the law. Ministry, now that's the good stuff. I've traveled over 13,000 miles, mostly on foot, planting multiple churches in over 12 regions and cities, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, feeding the hungry. Oh, yeah, and I worked on the side as to not be a burden to anyone. I also happened to write 13 books of the Bible. Boom. He said this. This isn't me. Amidst it all, I boast not in myself, I am nothing. I boast in nothing or no one other than Christ, and I preach nothing more than Christ and Him crucified. I'm not all that eloquent in my speech, but everywhere I go, people get saved. It's weird. Relationships? I choose to be single. No, seriously. I choose that. It gives me more time to serve God wholeheartedly, but I've got friends. I've discipled some of the greatest men and women our faith has ever seen. Silas, Titus, Timothy, Phoebe... I've worked alongside men like Barnabas, Apollos, James, oh, and some guy named Peter. You've been reading Romans, right, in chapter 7? Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Then you know how I feel about sin. I hate it. It's wicked. It divides. It destroys. It pulls me from my Lord. You know how I feel about the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. Praise be to Christ. Wow, looking back on this, I sound pretty terrific. (laughs) But the real me, the depths of my soul, the cries of my heart, the wanderings of my mind. Yeah, let's read that last passage in Romans 7 again. Okay, so when we understand the context of this man, who arguably could be like the greatest Christian ever. If you put that label, right, you can't, but if we did, it'd be this guy. That's his resume. I mean, it's just crazy, does all this stuff, yet takes no credit. Points to Jesus. And yet we get some reality. We get this heart-based, emotive response from Paul. And that's what we read today. And that's what I want us to engage with. That's what I want our hearts to find relatability with. So today he reads us the rest of his testimony. But let me, let me say this. Um, here's my hope for today. Here's what I hope we get out of this. First is that we would just be able to kind of breathe out, right? Right? That we would just relax for a moment. That in our identification, in our relating with Paul's experience, there would kind of be this, okay. Because when we leave this live these tense, guilt-filled lives, and I tell you what, living out righteousness is just somewhat impossible. I pray that we breathe out. In fact, last night, how many people watched ASU squeak out that game against UCLA? Right. Yeah. yeah. NAU also won, by the way. You. So, there you go. That's the reason. Let's get crazy. Whatever. That's fine. Just kidding. I don't care. Whatever. So, ASU squeaks out this one to UCLA. I happen to know that about 90% of my friends on Facebook are ASU fans. Okay? I know this because I just saw status after status after status that was like, we're crushing it, and then, oh my God, what's happening, and this is the worst thing ever, and elation right, in the last, because it looked, they were up 35 to 13 or something, I don't know, it was some crazy, at halftime, with like five minutes left, it was 38-33, and the other team had the ball, right, I mean, it was just looking pretty glim, they were getting smacked around, and so it was amazing, because as soon as the game was over, right, I went back on Facebook, and every single status was, oh, thank God, or, man, my heart can breathe again, right? I mean, it's just all this. And here's what I want. I want for us to release some of this tension that we feel because here's what Paul has done and we've talked about it. He's built up over and over and over for us in Romans this need for us to chase after God and leave sin behind. That builds up for us some pressure, right? It builds up for, up for us some guilt in the midst of, I've tried that and it hasn't worked. What I think what we do when we step into relating with Paul today is we breathe out. And in that breathing out, we don't stop there, but rather we then breathe in the depths of the gospel. We breathe out guilt. We breathe out shame. We breathe out all of this pressure, and rather we breathe in Christ. We breathe in the gospel. And we allow that to carry us into everything that we'd like to see our lives look like. Okay? So that's my hope for us today. This is the way we're going to do it. There's going to be five major relatable pieces to what we read in Paul today. Right, five of them. So if you're a note taker, it's going to be really easy for you. Five of them. Bam. At the end, we're going to see one that isn't relatable to every human in this world, but I'd like it to be. Okay? Five that are relatable to every human in this world, and then one that I wish would be. Okay? And so that's where we're going. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual but I am of the flesh sold under sin. So he starts off, he frames this little diatribe moment by just saying, okay, the law, we've already talked about the law is good, right? The law is spiritual, it is good, but I am of the flesh. Simply, number one relatable point, I am human, okay? And unless I don't know something, we all raise our hands to check that box, right? Yeah, I'm also human, okay? So we step in, okay, Paul, you're setting out this ground. This is the human condition. The experience that he writes about will be very similar to our experience okay so he works out this humanity before us in verse 15 and on for I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate now if I do what I do not want I agree with the law that it is good and this is going to be his whole thing I do what I do I do and back and forth and his mind, you just kind of step into this emotion, emotional moment for Paul as he writes out, gosh, this is what I want to do, yet I find myself over here. I see this, I know this, this looks good, I know this is what God has for me, but I just keep going this direction. I think the second relatable moment is just the frustration with our own actions. Right? Frustration with our own actions, that in the midst of this life, We step into things. We do things. We find ourselves in places and areas and points of our life where we say, man, how did this happen? Why am I here? And the comments just continue to resound, I think, as we dig deeper and deeper into all of the memories that might flood the mind right now of those times where you just knew, yeah, maybe I should be doing this, but you found yourself in the complete opposite direction. This is what God wants for me. This is what life is. Yet we pursue death. Okay, and this is that quandary that we find ourselves in, that Paul himself finds himself in. Okay, um, it's interesting. Excuse me. It's interesting because one of the things that we hear a lot, whether it's me preaching or Anthony or any of the guys that have ever been up here, is a lot of times we hear people come up and they say, "Listen, I really appreciate how honest you are about your sin." Right? I even have even have one girl come up to me and say. Man, you really sin a lot. And I was like, "Yeah, it's fair. You know, thanks. Get out. You know." But um, <laughs> no, but people literally—that's one of the number all the time. Say it to Anthony, say it to me, "I just—you guys—just are just really honest about your sin. You know." And um, what I struggle with in the midst of this is that somehow we've made honesty something cool and not something. We've used honesty really as a tactic and as opposed to using honesty as something that we need to do before God. Like we're we're not honest before you because we're proud and we want to share a cool story. We're honest because internally I know this is breaking my soul. Right? I, I know this is destroying what God would have for me. And so we share this, we communicate this with one another in hopes that in that communication we find freedom. That it's not just this tactic, it's not just this cool thing to do in the church world to be open, it's because we believe in the power of God to save. The power of God to redeem. Okay, um, I just wonder how much of our, we're stuck in this, this is what I want to do, but I do this, is really because we don't know what it means to truly be honest with one another. And we've talked about this before, but we live in this world where we're constantly trying to hide. We're constantly trying to put on a show for each other. And then in the midst of that, we just just break underneath the expectations and weight of that. Because it's impossible to bear that burden. That's just maybe one solution. We'll look at more. Let's keep going. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Right? So the third frustration. Frustration with sin and brokenness and the lack of our strength to fight it. Right, Paul's saying, listen, it, it almost sounds like he takes a step back here and then just blames everything on sin. Right? This, is, this is ultimately sin's fault. But is that, is that what he's trying to communicate? Did he, did he really go for seven chapters destroying and saying, sin, I've mastered it? Right? Do you guys remember Paul saying, I've, I've mastered sin, I'm no longer a slave to sin, to come back and say, actually, sin has mastered me. This is all of a sudden a quandary for us as we kind of step into the emotions of the moment. Is Paul just being emo here, I wonder, right? Is he just listening to too much Dashboard, right? And now he's confused, like, God, right? Or is he just talking about the true human condition that we are so frustrated with the fact that we can't defeat the sin in our lives? I love his line, right? I I desire to beat it, but I have not the ability to carry it out. We see this every single January. And we use this illustration a lot here because it's always happening and we're coming close to it. We see it every single January in the form of resolutions where we resolve to change something about ourselves and that change, that attempt, usually lasts about a month or two. Okay, that, It's crazy. It's like 7% of people will ever actually complete a whole year of their resolution. 7%. Okay? So on our own, we have not the ability to change ourselves. We have not the ability to live righteous lives. I mean, perfectly. And that's what's in view here. You have to understand that. Paul, throughout all this, all of seven, all of six, it's all talking about how the law came to expose what that we cannot be fully righteous before God. That we need somebody else. We need someone else to do this because we don't have the ability on our own. So that's the same thing that's in view here. I cannot, he cannot become, be righteous on his own. He continually chooses evil when he knows he should choose good. I had a really good buddy. He's like my best friend in the whole world. His name's Matt Stewart. And uh, he lives in California. And we went to high school together. And uh, this guy, and you probably all had that friend, right? Where, you know, he was, they're always trying to get you to do stuff you don't want to do. And yet, he also happens to be the coolest guy in school, so you have to say yes. Okay? So, Matt was that guy for me. And constantly, you know, we, we were on the football team. We used to, oh, we got to go work out. We got to go work out. And so there was this classic moment where I stood up to him, okay? Um, we were laying in, my buddy Landon and I were laying in bed together, just <laughs> totally totally platonic. And, uh, and Matt walks in, it's 5 a.m., right? We have school starting at 8, and he says, hey, man, we got to go to the gym before school starts, okay? Um, and, and usually we would, we would say yes. But in this moment, I was like, you know, Matt, I know I should go do that, but you're an idiot. Right? I, said, I, said, I was like, but that's not going to happen. So I thought back on that story this week, and I realized that these are the common, very common moments in my life where I know truly what would be good for me, yet I choose to go the easy route. Right? I choose to sleep in. Now, um, these moments are vast and are in different contexts for all of us, but the idea remains the same. That constantly, when you, listen, when you hang out in community, when you walk in this world, and you got, listen, if you're a Christian here, you got the Holy Spirit in you, and he's communicating to you and saying, okay, do this, don't do this, that whole deal, and you know it, you see it, okay, don't put your hand on that, don't go here, stay here, don't do this, do this, on and on and on, and you know it's churning in your brain, and you say, okay, I know that's good, That's better for my soul, better for me physically, spiritually, emotionally, the whole deal, but you go the easier route. What it communicates to me is that we've easily, sorry, we've made Christianity to be very easy, right? That Christianity, that God must want ease in our lives, right? Christ must want, he must want us to just be able to just, kind of just relax at all times. To not choose a harder route that would lead to maybe where he'd rather have us be. And so we choose to go the route maybe that's a little more traveled because it's easier for us than what God would really have for us, okay? These moments are vast, and again, as Paul communicates this, this is, this is who's the guy that's communicating. This is Paul, right? This is the guy who has mastered sin, who has planted thirteen ch- or churches in twelve regions. The guy who has read, wrote thirteen books of the Bible. This guy communicates the same idea, saying, "Listen, guys, I've done all of that, and yet, at the heart level, this is the battle that I fight. This is the battle." I fight. And so here's, here's what I want to do. Ready? Everyone in here is fighting that same battle. So there's no need for us to hide it from one another. Like, th- listen, there's not a person in here. If Paul couldn't figure this out, and I'm, if Paul couldn't figure this out, you can't figure this out. Every single person in this room is fighting this battle where when you leave today, your mind, your heart, your body, your soul, your members will be tugging you and pulling you to go a direction you shouldn't go and you'll give in. And every single one of us are fighting that every day. It makes no sense to me that we would hide that fact the moment that we can come and write a letter like what Paul wrote. Because here's the truth, I bet you, that church, as they hear Romans 1-7, through 7, as they hear it from their pastor, their elder, the guy who planted their church to look back and say, man, Paul has something to say. They read Romans 1-7, through 7, they say, Paul is perfect! And yet Paul, being honest with his people, comes in and says, no, I am messed up. And every single day, I choose evil when I know I should choose good. For us, this should be a (sighs) moment. Because the person sitting to your left and the person sitting to your right is just as broken and needy as you. Just as broken and needy as you. There's no one in here that's a superstar. There's no one in here that's an all-star. We're all jacked up. Breathe out. That should relieve pressure. We're on the same playing field. Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The fourth frustration. The frustration of the temptation and power of sin and evil. So not just are we frustrated with our own actions, okay? not just are we frustrated with sin holistically and in general, and, and, and our lack of strength in the midst of that, but we're man, I'm just sick and tired of the fact that even when I try and do good, even when I do take that first step, sin lies right at the front door. temptation lies right at the front door that even if I go the way I should go it doesn't get easy for me that sin tempts and sin woos and sin pulls me and draws me to itself it's so frustrating why can't this just be easy why, why, why can't we just choose righteousness? Why can't, why can't I can't just wake up in the morning with those new mercies, with that new grace, and just say, God, I'm choosing you. I'm going to walk that direction. It's going to be fantastic. There's no temptation. I'm going to love. I'm not going to be down today. I'm not going to be frustrated. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to be slothful. I'm not going to be on and on and on and on and on. Why, 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 why? Why must sin be so powerful? And we get what we get communicated to us here is, a, is this metaphor that's continuous throughout the book of Romans and throughout most of the writings of Paul. We see it in every letter. But this idea of this war that's being waged, right? The inner being versus the external kind of warring against that. See, that our inner being, right, deep down to our core, the Christian here in the room today, deep down because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we long for God. If you're a Christian here today, not by your own power or doing, you long for God because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the truth. Because the Spirit of God resideth in you, you desire God in your innermost being. Yet, because of temptation, because of sin's power, it wars it literally is at, in a battle with your inner being with the Holy Spirit to woo you and cause your members your hands we talked about this a few weeks ago remember your members your hands your mind everything to go the other direction there is a legitimate real battle going on okay. inner versus outer that makes us captive verse 24 this I love this I love Wretched man that I am. Paul, okay? Superstar. Wretched man that I am. Maybe not as much. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So Paul, after all this, is laying his soul before the people who thought he was perfect, thought he was great, bears his soul, is honest with people about the battle that wages in his heart wretched man that I am, broken man that I am. And then the greatest the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who, what's the answer? Who, this is the worst, right? And if we sit down and we've all had those moments when we've tried to pursue God, the battle's waging, we choose the wrong things, we're here, we're there, we're everywhere, and then we get in the midst of it and say, God, where are you? What am I to do? who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25. Excuse me. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So those five things we relate with Paul, those five frustrations about our real condition, about all that's really happening behind the mask we put on. right? That stuff that's real deep, that's real true, that we're fighting all the time, that we need to be open with, all of that stuff. And he says, listen, in the midst of that, there's one thing, there's one hope that I have that currently not all of humanity relates with. Because the truth is, all of humanity will relate with those first five. That they do the things they don't want to do. And that's even for the non-Christian, right? If you're in here, you know that story, right? You've been there yourself. Whether it was Jesus that was calling or whatever it was, it was that you knew there was good you should do and you didn't do it. You knew you weren't supposed to cheat on that test, but you did. You knew you weren't supposed to embezzle at work, but you did. You knew you weren't supposed to did it on down the line. It's all the human condition. It's humanity. But then there's this this last one that Paul's hope and my hope and our hope of the mission of god is that all would come and realize and be able to give thanks that god is the answer that they get to the end of themselves and proclaim wretched man that i am that we would get to the end of our ropes and say wretched people that we are man what's the answer and that we would together proclaim in thanksgiving it's jesus it's it's jesus over and over and over it's jesus that as we breathe out, we breathe in the depths of the gospel. The depths that Christ is indeed the answer. Now here's what, here's what we need to notice in the midst of this. Even as we go to Christ, what Paul's communicating here in this deliverance is not a current, temporal, this world, present day deliverance completely. okay. That's not what he's communicating He's saying, who will deliver me from this body of death future? Right? Who, who is going to come and take me? Because listen, we occupy these bodies of death for the rest of your earthly lives. Right? You're not going to take on someone else's body. Your body's not going to become perfected no matter how many hours you spend in the gym. Okay? Not going to happen. You are trapped in a body of death, but who will deliver us ultimately, eternally, in the future is Christ. So here's the truth here. This battle will not stop until the day you die. Okay? Because we can easily get to the end of this text and say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm done. Right? I'll, I'll go to Christ and this just gets easy again. We're always looking, how do we get, how do we get ease into this? How do I make this best for myself? E- okay? No. The battle will always wage on between your internal desire as a movement of the Spirit versus the external forces and pulling of sin and brokenness and depravity. And again, why is this so relatable? Why does it have to be so relatable for the church today? Because we have to acknowledge that this battle exists. And we have to acknowledge it across our entire church. And I'm talking capital C every church, to stop saying that we've got this figured out, we've got the best this, we've got the best that, we know how to do this best, we've figured... No, to say, listen, we're all messed up. And we need and put our hope in Jesus to work on us now and eventually deliver us forever. Okay, We have to own that. And the implications for that, I can only... Imagine, and I tried to this week just thinking through what would it really look like if all of a sudden the church of Christ, right? If we just got this truth that this battle wages, it will not stop, and it wages in everyone. How then would you treat your friend who upset you? How then would you treat your boyfriend who dropped the ball on Valentine's Day, right? How would you treat your boss Who didn't promote you and promoted the person that didn't deserve the promotion? How would you treat on and on and on and on if you realize that inside their heart is the same battle that you fight every day, too? To try and decide, man, do I walk in the ways of the Lord or do I walk in my own flesh where sin and evil pull me? What would it look like if we started to treat one another with the understanding that this battle is as crazy in their soul as it is in ours? Would there not be more grace? Would there not be more forgiveness? And surely would there not be more mission? Would we not go to the world proclaiming this answer? That one day the battle will end. And Man, do I want to be in the presence of Christ who has all the power to deliver me from sin once and for all. What would it look like for us? So we step into this moment. We are late with Paul. And then we long to see all go to Jesus. The same thing that Paul desires, we now desire. So will we do that, okay? Here's what I want to do. Amidst this battle, three applications. One question, one imperative, one suggestion. One question, one imperative, one suggestion. The question, this one's been helpful for me, okay? In the midst of the battle, this question has been always helpful for me. It's very practical. And, and here's the deal, because and Nate, Zyman, even as we were praying before, this text is so much to sit and marinate and trust and, and, and breathe in deep the gospel. But I wanted to give us something tangible to walk away with as we wrap up the first seven chapters of Romans. So the first one, this question has been very helpful for me in the battle. And is it, Vince, what do you want the most? What is it that you want the most in life? because ultimately the truth is what we want the most in that moment will dictate which way we go. So, if in the moment my desire is for my comfort, okay, I probably don't forgive someone who hurt me because I'm going to scheme it in a way that then they feel the weight and the condemnation of hurting me in the first place. If my ultimate desire is not about me, but it's about making God look great, about living in His way, man, I forgive in a heartbeat. What do I want the most in this moment? When you approach any given thing, just ask yourself, just put it out there. Right now, what do I want most right now? And listen, i tell you what, 80% of the time I usually land on not the right answer. I usually land on, man, I want... I want what I want. I want what's best for me. I don't, if it's in contradiction to what God wants, I usually land here, and then when I land there, man, the conviction wells up, and I say, okay, well, I'm not going to go there. Okay, so does, is it foolproof? No, but I'm just saying, application, it's helpful. Ask yourself that question amidst the battle. Secondly, the imperative. This one's important for us, and we're going to get a chance to do it corporately as we sing, but it's just give thanks to God whom will deliver us. Give thanks to God. So we're going to sing. We're going to praise. You guys are going to be at meals, hopefully on Thursday. In fact, if you don't, I'm going to put this out there now. If you don't have a place for Thanksgiving dinner, come and talk to me. There's been a few people in the church that have offered up to open up their homes for you guys to come in and have Thanksgiving dinner so you wouldn't have, so you wouldn't go without. And so if that is you, just come and talk to me afterwards. We'll connect you with them. Okay. But this Thursday, we're going to be in a place where the whole country comes to a moment where we're giving thanks. I urge us that we would give thanks to God through Jesus Christ, whom will deliver us from these bodies of death. And then lastly, one suggestion that is borderline and imperative, and that's just you need, you have to be in community. Right? You, this whole thing falls apart by ourselves. This entire, every letter Paul ever wrote was to a group of people that they would read together and say, okay, how are we going to do this? Now more than ever, as we all really begin to get the idea embedded in our minds that the person to the left and the person to the right is just as jacked up as you are, just in need of Christ, just in need of grace, just in need of mercy, on and on and on, Man, the community thing should get easier for us. The community thing should say, okay, man, okay, I know that's true about you. You know, it's kind of awkward that you do that one thing, but we're still going to be friends, right? I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to point you to Jesus. Be in community. If you're spending, listen, if, if Sunday is the only moment you're gathered with a group of Christians, that's not enough. Listen, it's not enough. It just isn't. It has nothing to do with us wanting to pump up numbers of small groups. I could care less, but you need to be in community with other Christians. That's just the context for the way that the Roman church would receive this. Okay, how are we going to do this together? How are we going to fight this battle? Battles are not fought alone. They're fought with armies. They're fought with other men and other women by our side. And without it, man, you just lose. You just lose. Okay? All right, so that's it. What do you want the most? Let's give thanks to God and let's get in community because we do relate to the condition that Paul speaks about that we are broken and that constantly we choose to do the things we don't even really want to do. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for thank you for the gospel. Thank you for men like